Very good morning to everyone uh, who's present here today, especially if you're new, welcome to Smack One, welcome to St. Mary's. Uh, my name is Daniel, and as what the song says, indeed a privilege uh, to be proclaiming uh, the Word of God to everyone this morning, and this message of hope that Jesus has for all of us. Uh, so especially if you're new here, we welcome you. And before we listen to God's Word being preached, uh, let me pray as we prepare our hearts to listen to His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word, that you've given us much evidence of yourself through nature, through the world, but you've given us a special kind of evidence of who you are in your word, in your son. So Lord, even as we examine our hearts this morning through the preaching of the word, may your spirit be in our work in our hearts as we listen to your word. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there's a very common saying that goes something like this, that seeing is believing. I think no matter what kind of background you come from, we all can relate to that, that we won't believe in something until we see it. In order for me to consider if something is real or not, I must first consider all the evidence before I'm able to believe in this thing. Now to illustrate, maybe some of you love online shopping. Uh, that's good, but my mom initially did not believe in online shopping. Uh, maybe some of you were like that uh, in the initial stages because I think my mom wants to touch the product, smell the product, feel the product before she can spend a hundred ringgit on something that she shouldn't be spending anyway. <laughs> now, when it comes to matters of religion and the question of God, I think many people are like this. Many people must see the proofs, the evidence before they can believe in the idea that God created the world. Many people must witness a miracle right in front of their eyes before they can trust in God. Now you might be listening to me and wondering the way I'm speaking and the tone I'm speaking is that am I suggesting that religion is anti-evidence or religion is anti-reason, anti-miracles? Am I implying that religion is a subjective matter of choice? Am I implying that religion is simply just trusting how you feel on a Sunday morning? Well, no, I'm certainly not. You see, friends, Christianity is certainly not a blind faith. Christianity is what most people like to call a reasonable faith. A faith that is based on evidence, historical events that actually happen, not fairy tales. And not only what the Bible has revealed about what Christianity is, but non-Christian sources as well. Some of you may know, such as the writings of Josephus, an uh, old Jewish historian that tells us that Jesus appeared to his disciples three days after he was dead. So Christianity is historic based on evidence. So what am I saying then? What is the point of my introduction? Now what am I saying is that there are many people in this world maybe including some of us seated here today, that despite all the evidence and all the clear signs that are given to you about who Jesus is, about who God is, you will still not believe in God. Why is that so? Well, I think because Christianity is more than just believing in facts and miracles and signs. The Bible calls us, or rather Jesus calls us to surrender our control of our lives unto him. That Christianity, more than just believing in facts, is a submission of our lives to him as king and we as his humble servants. To acknowledge 
who Jesus truly is, which is the one true Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life. Thus, no matter, the great likelihood is that no matter how much evidence and how much arguments for Christianity someone may receive, the likelihood is that their hearts may be so hardened to a point that they will not believe in Jesus. Not because of how many signs that is already available, but just simply because people are unwilling to acknowledge who Jesus is and to submit themselves completely to his lordship. And that's exactly what we will see in today's passage in our, in our gospel reading this morning in Matthew 16. So ever since Matthew 13, we've been seeing different responses to the kingdom of heaven, to the preaching of the gospel, right? In Matthew 15, we see a bunch of Pharisees and their hard-heartedness, their insistence on teaching tradition against the word of God. We see them rejecting who Jesus is. In the following week, we saw Jesus performing many miracles, the healing of the demon-possessed woman, the feeding of the 4,000, and many people being healed and coming to believe in Jesus. So we saw a response of rejection in, verse, in chapter 15. We saw a response of belief in chapter six, in cha- the half of, second half of chapter 15. And today, we see another response, a response of rejection. A response of rejection that says, I don't want you, Jesus, even though the evidence that for you is clear enough. And a response that says, I don't want to live my life under your control. So that's what we'll be looking at today. So without further ado, let's look right into verse 1 of chapter 16. Right, it says there that Jesus, after feeding the 4,000, right, he came to a place in the Gospel of Mark. It records the place called Dalamanuta or some places called Magadan. Basically, what's happening here is that a bunch of Pharisees came to Jesus. And the first thing that we must understand when the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like each other. Right? They were of two different ideologies of Judaism at the time. You can think of them as the conservatives and liberals of our day. Uh, one group... Um, of the Pharisees, they are located more in the, re- in the region of Galilee, in the smaller synagogues, kind of like in the kampong, so to speak. And the Sadducees, they are located in the capital, they are loca- located in Jerusalem, and they are focused more on the temple work there. The Pharisees are more close-minded, they are more stuck to the law and their traditions. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they are more open-minded, they are okay with Roman philosophy uh, influencing their Jewish tradition. And we'll see in Acts chapter 23, just to give uh, some differences between the two. Acts 23, 8, you can see on the screen, shows us some doctrinal differences that they have. It says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So point is, they had so many differences that they have. So how on earth did they come together? How on earth did they come together? Well, it's like how back in the day, how Anwar and Mahathir came together to fight against Najib. I'm not saying Jesus is Najib. This is just an illustration. This is just an illustration. That's why this illustration fails. Maybe I shouldn't have used it. Point is, the common enemy of the Pharisees and Sadducees is Jesus. They came together to fight Jesus. The Pharisees probably hated Jesus because Jesus was against their tradition. The Sadducees probably hated Jesus because they thought Jesus was going to bring a political change to the Roman Empire. And I love how John Calvin puts it in his commentary. He says, you can see on the screen, 
It says, though ungodly men quarrel among themselves, their internal broils never prevent them from conspiring against God and entering into a compact for joining their hands in persecuting the truth. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they both hated Jesus. And as the verse tells us, they came to Jesus to test him by asking Jesus to show them from a sign. Right? It's like how the devil came to Jesus in the wilderness to tempt Jesus during that time. You see, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they came together with an agenda to, to test Jesus. But more than that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus with a heart of unbelief. You see, the issue here is not the desire to know God and to seek Him. A lot of people have that. And in this genuine desire to know who God is, perhaps we ask for signs, we ask for miracles, and that is, I think, a good desire. But yet, as we see in this passage today, there are many people like the Pharisees and Sadducees, they knowingly reject Jesus despite so many signs and miracles already given to them. So this is how Jesus responds to them in verse 2 and 3. He says, He's answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. And this is where the key part is. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Jesus is saying to them, You have knowledge to predict the weather, the things of this earth the things that are below, but you can't interpret the sign of the times, the things that are above, the things that are spiritual. First thing we must see that the sign of the times is not talking about some future second coming of Jesus, right? We often see that in biblical language, but this is not referring to that. The sign of the times here is referring to now, to the kingdom that is at hand, to Jesus right now. So simply put, the sign of the times are signs that point us to who Jesus is, the Son of God. And what Jesus is essentially scolding the Pharisees and Sadducees for is saying this, Pharisees and Sadducees, you have all these signs and miracles that are talking about me being God, yet you still ask, you still demand, you still tempt me to do a sign for you as if I'm a vending machine or a genie in the lamp to just do things on your demand. Who on earth do you think you are? You still ask for more. And in verse 4, Jesus tells them, and has a verdict on them, it says, An evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. You see, friends, verse 4 is a very, very relevant verse for us today, for the non-Christian today, for the state of the world and the unbelieving world today in their relation to God. You see, the Bible is very clear. In the Old Testament, there are many prophecies in the Old Testament of how God promises a Messiah, a chosen one that will come and heal people and come and do miracles. A chosen one that will come to bring salvation for his people. And those prophecies were all fulfilled in the Gospels in the New Testament all fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the chosen one. Jesus is the Messiah who came and did many signs and miracles to fulfill this prophecy. And all those prophecies, all those miracles is to show who he truly is, the son of God. 
And on that basis alone, on the basis of the New Testament alone, what Jesus has already shown us should be sufficient for all of us to come and believe in him. Yet, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and a lot of people in their sinfulness, in their hearts, demand that God show them more signs as if God has not already shown enough in the Bible. This is why in verse 4, it tells us that they are an evil and adulterous generation. They are evil, they are adulterous because they reject what has already so clearly revealed to them. And just as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, the only sign that will be given to them is the sign of Jonah. And Matthew gives us an explanation earlier in his writings. He says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days in the heart of the earth. You see, friends, the sign of Jonah refers to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So Jonah's near-death experience is a picture of Jesus' real death experience and resurrection from the dead. And Jesus said, this death and resurrection of me, this will be the only sign that will be given to you. Now, if you think about it, for the Pharisees and Sadducees, this sign is something in the future. It's one final sign to show the world who Jesus really is. For them, it hasn't happened yet. Yet for all of us, 200 plus people seated here today, it's different, right? The sign of Jonah has already happened. Jesus did die. Jesus was buried and Jesus was raised from the dead three days later, according to the scriptures. And this sign of Jonah, friends, is the greatest revelation of who Jesus is. The death, burial and resurrection of Jesus authenticates who he says he is. Yet, many people still want other signs. They want other signs besides this sign of Jonah. Now, I have three sort of applications for us to think through. There are some of us here who have not heard about the sign of Jonah in the first place. You're like, what on earth is this? What is the death? What is the burial? What is the resurrection of Jesus? You haven't considered the evidence that the Bible gives about the identity of Jesus. So may I suggest to you that you, this, thankfully in St. Mary's, we run Christianity Explored maybe two, three times a year. Uh, if you have a non-Christian friend or if you yourself have not, have not examined the sign of Jonah for yourself, the death and resurrection of Jesus, come for Christianity Explored and talk about it, discover, explore Christianity for yourself. So that's the first group of people. The second group of people is that perhaps you've been coming to church every single week and you hear about this gospel, this Jesus, this death, resurrection of Jesus every single Sunday, but yet you still don't believe in him. And yet you still ask for more. You still ask for more signs. Well, according to the passage, you are no better than the Pharisees and Sadducees. Because what is so abundantly clear that has already been revealed is still not enough for you. You still don't trust in who Jesus says he is. So if this is you, would you reconsider and study and investigate the death and resurrection of Jesus? 
Because may I assure you, as you investigate, as you find who Jesus is, by God's grace, you will find all meaning and all purpose and all joy that you will ever find in life. Because in his resurrection, we don't have to fear death. We have assurance that death does not have its final say. We have hope to face this life ahead, to face death, inevitable death one day because of what Jesus has done. So may I invite you to reconsider this gospel for yourself. Now there are some of us, perhaps you're a Christian, you do believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but yet at times it's not enough. See, sometimes you still doubt who God is. But if you really think about it, sometimes when we think that way, it's like telling someone you love, right? or let's say you're, you have a spouse, you have someone you love, you show so much affection to this person, yet this person still turns around and says, Mommy, why you don't love me? Or Lokong, or husband, why you don't love me? You never show me enough. How will you feel being told by your spouse or your loved ones that you haven't shown them enough? And many people, uh, many different parts of Christianity in that sense that emphasizes signs and wonders. Perhaps, and I feel very sad because as if God has not already shown enough love to them, they still want more. And it's very dangerous to keep wanting more and desiring miracles, signs and wonders as if God has or not already shown enough love to us. So may I encourage you, if you are that, that although God, I grant, can reveal himself in many different ways through daily life, through provision, through finding a car park, whatever it is. But sometimes, if we are really, really honest, God does seem very silent all the time. But the truth is this, that God is never silent. God has already spoken. He is speaking to you right now. And he will continue to speak to you through his word, through the Bible. So may I remind all of us, even myself, to remember the sign of Jonah, to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, to remember that the fact that he died for your sins, that sometimes we have to remember, we often forget just how much God loves us. We forget that we were blind, we were once blind in our unbelief, that we have rejected God's love. To remind ourselves because of our sin, we deserve God's judgment. More importantly, to remind yourself that in God's kindness and love, He demonstrated His love for us while we were still sinners. Lord Jesus died for you. And three days later, he rose again. And the Bible tells us by faith, when we place our trust in him, we are united to Jesus in his death and resurrection. So why am I saying trust in the gospel? But more important than that, I'm saying that you don't need any more miracles and signs. You don't need the next big thing or the next big miracle, or the next big blessing that God can give you because he has already given you everything. His son. He has given you the greatest revelation, the greatest blessing on earth, the greatest sign and miracle in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is enough. Don't chase after the next thing, the next blessing, the next this. Trust in Jesus. 
Now, will there be doubts in this life? For sure. I mean, if you've been a Christian long enough, we have doubts more often than not. But we will see that in the next section of the story. In the disciples, they, like us, are very blur, very dumb, and sometimes we forget who Jesus is. So look with me to verse 5 of chapter 16. Verse 5 tells us that the disciples reached the other side after that whole thing was done with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus was there, and then the, rather the disciples realized that they forgot to bring any bread. Now, if you've been paying attention to the Matthew series, that sounds very familiar. Bread. Not enough bread. Remember, Jesus has already dealt with this two times. Not once, not two times. So Jesus took this opportunity, right, in light of what happened to the Pharisees and Sadducees, the little scoffle that they have, to teach his disciples something related to bread which is leaven. Right? Jesus said in verse 6, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now leaven is something, is a substance, think of it as yeast, that helps bread rise. And something that is unseen, that goes into the dough and helps the dough rise. So in the disciples' mind, right, you imagine, you, you forgot to bring any bread, and then Jesus tells you, beware of the leaven. All the disciples could think about is, oh no, we forgot to bring bread. What should we do? What should we do? Right? The disciples were not only extremely blur at this time, but they were also extremely forgetful. And Jesus reminds them or addresses them in verse 8. He says to them, oh you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Right? And Jesus proceeds to ask them a bunch of rhetorical questions, verse 9 and 10. Right, he says to them, do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousands? That's one miracle we looked at. And how many baskets you get it? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets you get it? Right, remember those two miracles that you witnessed? How on earth, in verse 11, Jesus says to them, how on earth is that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Now what is happening here? What is, what is Jesus saying to his disciples? On one hand, it could be that Jesus is reminding his disciples that, Oi, don't worry about your food. Why are you worrying about your physical food? Jesus is reminding them, do you remember the two miracles, the two feeding miracles I did and how I provided for you? Why worry now? I've already done it before. And that's a, a lot like all of us here today, where sometimes we fix our eyes on the things on this earth, our jobs, our careers, our money, our possession, which are all good things. But we get so worked up about it, so worried about it, that whether we have enough, whether we have this, whether we have that, and we lose sight, we lose focus and trust on Him that as if the God that provided for you in the past is not going to provide for you right now. So I believe today God, in that, through this word, is reminding all of us that He is the provider for your need. That the same God who has provided for you in the past is the same God who is faithful to His word to take care of us. I don't have it on the screen, but Matthew chapter 6 describes a whole section of how God will feed the birds in the sky and how he will dress the deity. In, and how, but what about you? God takes care of us. God physically provides for our needs. So may this remind us right, that as you work, as you find, as you 
are focused on your career to remember that God is the one who provides. God is the one who has given you everything that you need. So that's the first thing that Jesus is reminding them. But even more than that, I think Jesus is rebuking his disciples by challenging them to answer the question, who do you think I am? Who do you think Jesus is? By asking all these questions, do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet understand? It is I who do the miracles and things like that. Now, I won't elaborate more because next week, I think Darren, Darren next week will come and tell you exactly in the next chapter and how Peter and some of the disciples at a eureka moment, at a aha, I finally know who Jesus is. So I'll save that to next week. But the main point that I want to bring through is in verse 11, where Jesus, after asking a bunch of rhetorical questions, comes back to the main point of what he's saying, which is this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What is that? What is that leaven? Well, it's not literal bread. In verse 12, Jesus says that the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees is the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So what is that? What is that they are teaching? That they are so ideologically different. They have different statements of faith, different doctrinal beliefs, but how, what on earth is their common teaching? Well, it's the very same thing that Jesus scolded them for in verse 1 to verse 4. That the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees is a teaching that rejects who Jesus is that rejects his identity and mission. That was the common ground that they have. And that is what Jesus is warning his disciples back then and is warning all of us here today. You see the disciples in their absolute blurness and forgetfulness, they were very close to the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That in the moment of their blurness or their borderness, so to speak, that they forgot the identity of who Jesus is. They forgot the purpose of those miracles. So for you and I today, there are two things that we should be careful about. First thing, that we have to be careful of false teaching. Be careful of teachers that tell you to not acknowledge who Jesus is. Be careful of false teaching and false teachers who say that Jesus is not the Son of God. Most major, not most, all major religions apart from Christianity deny the deity of Christ. Cults right, say that Jesus is a good guy or an elevated being or an angel, but not God himself. And even in the world we live today, especially in the city where secularism is so prevalent, that we live in a world that says that we don't need God, we don't need Jesus. Every motivational talk you have says to trust in yourself, to trust in your own abilities, but not trust something apart from yourself. Friends, that is the teaching of the world. So may I urge you to be careful of the things we see online, of the things that you scroll on social media, of your different WhatsApp groups and people saying different things on those WhatsApp groups. Be wary examine those things. They may be true, but they may be not. They may be false teaching. So as Jesus tells us, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, beware of the teaching of the world that rejects who Jesus is. 
But the second thing, perhaps here, you know, we, we are not susceptible to false teaching. Wow, St. Mary is very good doctrine. No one be susceptible to false teaching. But secondly, and maybe more importantly for us, we ought to be wary about ourselves and notice our own tendency to forget who Jesus is in our lives. And this sermon, very, very simple message to remember who Jesus is. Just a firm reminder to all of us as Christians that sometimes we are just so forgetful. Like the disciples, we forget who Jesus is in our lives. That sometimes we walk around every single day not living our lives according to his will or his mission. Not living our lives in submission to him, sometimes against his word. That we live our lives so focused on the bread instead of fixing our eyes on the provider of the bread. Sometimes we only come on Sundays to this church, amazing place. We come and we say Jesus is Lord, but we walk every day in our lives as if Jesus is not Lord. And let's be honest, that's all of us to a certain extent. We are so forgetful. I am so forgetful of who Jesus is. So may the disciples' forgetfulness remind all of us of our own weakness, of our tendency to forget who Jesus is. Because we are sometimes just that blur. We have to acknowledge that asking the Spirit's help every single day from the moment we wake up to the moment we sleep, thanking God that He is Lord of our lives. So may we do that as we leave this place today. So in conclusion, as I conclude today's sermon, allow me to conclude with a lyrics of, a, of, of an old hymn. Um, it's a hymn that I really like. Um, particularly in the third verse, when I first heard it a while ago, it really resonated. Just like the disciples, I was so blur, I was so forgetful of the goodness of Jesus that even I myself sometimes seek extra signs and miracles without realizing that Jesus himself gave us the ultimate sign and ultimate miracle in his death and resurrection. So allow me to read these words out to you, even as we end today's sermon. To pray these words even, to remind ourselves to hold firmly to Jesus and to live for his glory every single day of our lives. It says, O Lord, O to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Where Jesus, you have lavished your grace upon us, I am so in debt to you. O how can I repay my love to you. Let that grace, now like a feather, bind my wandering heart to thee. Feather means chain, and asking God to bind my wandering heart, bind my forgetful heart to him. And these words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's me. I'm so prone to forget who Jesus is. I'm so prone to not read my Bible, to not pray. I'm so prone to that. So here's my prayer. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, Lord. Seal it for your purposes. Seal it for the day when I die. Seal it until I see you. Lord, take me, help me, sustain me as I walk through this Christian life with you. Amen.